All right, good morning, church. How we doing? Awesome. It's exciting to be here. Uh, welcome. Uh, we have some special guests in the house uh, this morning. The uh, Vidalia High School competition cheer team's here, so y'all make them feel welcome. You know, I used to think uh, cheerleading was, was a wimpy sport. Uh, mainly because my sister did it, so I used to try to pick on her about it. But uh, she started competition cheerleading, and I'm pretty sure she stayed injured more than I did playing football. So um, you guys are awesome. Y'all keep it up, and best of luck to you. Um, We're excited to be here today. Uh, As you can tell, uh, one of the things that we are fired up about is uh, with this 1-8 project is we get to plant a church in Athens, right? And so uh, Dustin and Rachel, uh, God blessed us with them. They've been here uh, really, as long as we've had the church, Rachel was on staff when we first got started as a college student. She helped with kids, and uh, and then she now she teaches uh, over at J.D. Dickerson, and, and, and Dustin has been with us now for about four and a half or five years as well. And, uh, man, God has really been pressing into their heart, Athens, and it's been exciting to get to be a part of that as a church. And so part of this 1-8 project and uh, the million dollars that we're trying to raise with it uh, will go towards helping plant. Connection Church in Athens, and so there's a lot of people up there that are not in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we uh, would love to help with that, and I know Dustin uh, is going to do a great job, and so um, you guys show him some support, and uh, we're excited, and I think it really communicates the heart of the 1-8 Project as good as anything else that uh, we're doing, uh, because our heart through this project is to reach people, and uh, statistics show Uh, The best way to reach people is to plant churches, right? And so uh, actually the most efficient and effective way uh, to reach lost people is to plant new churches. Even uh, you can reach people a lot faster than you can even with existing churches. And so uh, that's why we have a heart for church planting and that's why it's a huge part of our vision. And so uh, not only that, but some other exciting news with the 1-8 Project. On uh, this past Monday, uh, we had our early commitment dinner, uh, which was where... I invited everybody who wanted to go ahead and say, hey, we're on board, we're ready, we want to make a commitment uh, to the 1-8 Project. We had uh, about 55 uh, couples show up or people show up, and uh, man, it was incredible. We heard the story of Connection Church, and uh, man, it was emotional for me. It was just an incredible time because that's back at Durden Cabin where we all started. And uh, you know, this is the first time I have ever uh, done a financial campaign. It's actually the first time I've ever pastored a church, so uh, I'm not really sure what the expectations are going into this thing, and man, God has just rocked my world and, and shown so many things, and so 55 people said, yes, Billy, we want to be a part of what God's doing through this 1-8 project, and of 50, 55, only 55 people, you got to keep in mind, we're a church of about 500, so you can multiply that in half uh, by about two, so may, most of the time, average-wise, that's about 250 couples. So um, a fourth of those couples committed to the 1-8 Project for a total of $559,000, um, which is, so that to me is just an incredible testimony. And so that's almost $560,000 will be given over a period of three years. Listen, and that ain't even our whole church committed yet, you know, and I've been 
Just throwing out this number, uh, if you've not been here, the 1-8 Project is something that we're getting ready to go into. Uh, next Sunday is going to be our commitment Sunday as a church where we as a church are committing to elevate our generosity uh, for the mission of God to reach more people. And so uh, we are wanting to accomplish three major objectives. One is to purchase land here in Vidalia so that we can break ground on a permanent facility in here in Vidalia. And then we're going to plant a connection church in Athens, as you just saw in the video. But we've had really two purposes. And our first purpose is that 100% of people in this room would participate, right? So if you're a first-time guest, I'm not counting you. But if, if you consider Connection Church your home, we want you to be a part of this thing. Listen, we're not the type of church where uh, somebody's probably going to break down and write a check for a million dollars, right? I call us, we're scrappy, you know, and that's a positive scrappy. That means it's going to You're good. God, I believe you're in control, and I believe you're faithful to your people. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts this morning to hear from your word, and uh, God, that you would speak directly to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as you know, we've been in this series called The 1-8 Project, where we've been kind of talking about generosity, because the whole project is about elevating our generosity for the mission of God. And so we've looked at, uh, thus far, we looked at Zacchaeus. Uh, many of you know, if you were here, uh, Zacchaeus is, was a guy that, that money had a hold on his heart, right? And so he had become a tax collector, and, but he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, everything changed. He became one of the most generous people that we see in the entire Bible because that's what Jesus does when, when he gets a hold of our heart is he turns stuff upside down. Uh, and then we also last week met the rich young ruler, right? And so this was another guy that money had a grip on his heart. And uh, he met Jesus face to face, and he basically wasn't willing to give up uh, his life and surrender. He wasn't willing to give up money, which had a hold on his heart, and he walked away sad, and we never hear from him again. And so everything that God wanted to do in and through him, he, was, he wanted money more than he wanted that. And so uh, our prayer last week was that whatever it is that's hindering our hearts uh, from surrendering everything to God, that we would lay it down so that we could be and do what God wants us to do as a people and as a church. And so today, uh, I really want to kind of give us the big overview general idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, this is uh, the passage of Scripture uh, that gives us probably the profile of the most generous church uh, in all of the Bible. And uh, it's the Macedonian church, right? And it's in the book of Corinthians. Uh, but actually, the town of Corinth is not 
in the Macedonia area. So Macedonia is kind of the, the area that includes the church at Philippi. It includes the church at Thessalonica, the church at Berea. Uh, so the, the letter of the Philippians was written to the church in, of Macedonia. And also the uh, first and second Thessalonians would be written to that book. And so what we see in Corinthians is Paul actually uh, uses this church uh, in Macedonia as an example to encourage the Corinthians in their generosity. And so uh, my prayer this morning is that God would grow us to be a church like the Macedonian church because I believe it's a church that shows Christ to its community, to its world, and to other people. And so that's our prayer for our church. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you're tired of me talking about money, um, the Bible talks a lot about it, right? And so I know you guys have heard money for the past three weeks. I just want you to know, hey, I wouldn't preach on this if I didn't love you, so I'll go ahead and set it there. Uh, a lot of us, I think we got to come to a realization that money is one of the greatest indicators of where our heart is, right? And so I don't preach uh, about a God that needs your money. I preach about a God that's all-sufficient and has everything that he needs, but he wants you and your heart. And when he has you and your heart, your money will reflect that. And so as I preach today and you think about the Macedonian church, I want you to think about their generosity, but I want you to think even deeper to the heart that produces this generosity because I believe it's the heart that God wants for us as his church. And so here we go. Paul says this, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even... right? God gives us spiritual gifts to edify the body, right? Some of us have teaching, some of us have prayer, some of us have administration, beyond that, everything else, right? And so we didn't do anything to choose those gifts. Those gifts were given to us. Well, when Paul introduces this gift of generosity, he calls it a grace gift. He says, I want you to excel in the grace of giving a little bit later in the passage. And what I want you to know is that the type of generosity that God wants to produce in you and me is not something we can produce on our own. It's not something that you and I can pull up our bootstraps and say, man, I'm going to become a generous person. I'm going to do it because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. That's not the type of generosity that God wants. The type of generosity that God wants is deeper than that. Listen to me. God doesn't want you to just be generous here and there. God's primary purpose for your life is that you would be a generous person, not just with your finances, but with your life, that you would, you would give away the very life that God has given you. And God teaches Jesus when he came, taught, we find life when we actually lay our life down. And our primary example in this is Jesus. Jesus literally was the most joyful man in the entire world and he spent his life giving himself 
away. It's very different than the American culture teaches us, amen? Outside of the church, you're not taught that life is found as you give yourself away. As you become a generous person, that you actually find true life, that it's more blessed to give than receive, you're actually taught the opposite. Many of us were raised in families where everything was about us. So we're taught from a very early age, not only is it in us through sin, but also we're taught that the world revolves around us. But the problem with that is, is that when we meet Jesus, Jesus begins to teach us that actually the world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him and we're created in a world and we find joy and fulfillment as we begin to serve and, and, and revolve our life around him. The other thing we see in this is not only is, is generosity, the type of generosity God wants, a grace that God gives us. We also see a good definition for what generosity is. It says that they literally welled up in rich generosity. You want to know about what generosity is? What do they do? They te- he says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, but then even beyond their ability. It gives us a definition for what generosity is. Most people, when they think about being generous, specifically a Christian, their first thought is tithing. Right, So if I'm a generous person, then I'll tithe to the church. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the New Testament actually doesn't talk a lot about tithing. And, and the reason it doesn't talk a lot about tithing is because our measure of our generosity is not 10% in the law. Our measure for generosity is actually a person, Jesus Christ. It's why this passage ends introducing to us Jesus Christ, who are, is our example. You know, God's not... God doesn't want us to put a number on what he's put a person on, if that makes sense. You know, it's the same thing uh, that, that, that God teaches about uh, anger, you know, and, and, and murder. You know, you hear murder and it's like, well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, then Jesus comes and teaches and what does he do? He says, hey, if you've been angry in your heart at somebody, then you've actually committed murder. If you've lusted after a, 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 a person, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. What does he do? He takes the Ten Commandments and he raises the standard. And it's the same thing. I believe when, when God comes and he introduces this idea of generosity and what he wants us to be as Christians, he raises the standard so that 10% becomes the bottom, right? For so many times, so many years, a lot of us have been taught, man, if I, I give my 10%, then I do whatever I want to with the rest of the 90. The problem with that is that God has given you all 100% of what you have. And so God cares not just about a 10% that you use to help the church, which is a big deal. I'm not saying don't tithe, but what I'm saying is God wants you to steward the 100% for his glory. God wants to take the top off of your generosity so that he can use you to do some incredible things for his kingdom. I want you to think about how much that would free you up because generosity is actually a heart matter. When we put a number on it, a lot of times it goes from a heart matter to a rule matter. Does that make sense? God's not just interested in you giving a generous tithe. God's interested in you becoming a generous person so that it doesn't make sense. And this is what Jesus got mad at the Pharisees for. He says, listen, you tithe, but your heart is far from me. So the the Pharisees were going through the motions of doing everything they were supposed to do and give their tithe, but when they left the church building and they they weren't giving their tithe, they were living as if they weren't generous. When the very reason that God wants us to be a generous person is so that people outside the four walls of the church can look at our life and say, man, 
they look like Jesus so that then he can save them and bring them into a growing relationship with him. Generosity is who God wants us to be, not just something that he wants us to do. The next verse, three, says this. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, you got to understand the context of the passage. What Paul is doing is he's going back to the Corinthian church and he's, uh, that they had committed a, a year before to give uh, to a group of people that were going through a famine uh, in another town. And so Paul comes back and he says, hey, you remember you guys made this commitment. Now it's time to do it. But he said, listen, I've already been through Macedonia. And the thing that encouraged me so much about them is listen to what they were doing. He said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought when I read this is, I don't know that I've ever pleaded urgently to give my money to something. And so my first thought and the first conviction I had was, God, I'm not there yet. And so I would probably be willing to bet that the majority of us in this room, I don't know that we're there when I introduce something like the 1-8 project that your first thought is, please let us be a part of that, Billy. Please, whatever it is, we're ready to write a check now. Maybe some of us, if you are, then I would love to meet you and talk with you. But for most of us, a lot of times when we start talking about money and giving to something, even giving to God, our first response is kind of uh, backwards, like, hold up now, hold up. Hey, preacher, hey, hey. Now, you can talk about everything else. But when you start talking about money now, hey, I'm done. Some of you guys have zoned out already. As soon as you heard I was talking about money, boom, Facebook, let's see what's going on, right? But here's what I'd tell you, the same way that Jesus came to Zacchaeus and the same way that Jesus came to the rich young ruler, he came to them out of love and he had a conversation with them about money because he knew that money was an incredible competitor for our hearts. And a lot of times, a lot of people in this room the very thing that's holding you back from God doing a work in your heart is the grip that you have on money or the grip that you have on something that you're unwilling to let go of because you do not believe that God is better. And the scriptures tell us that he is better and the Macedonian church knew that he is better. Verse five, and they exceeded our expectations. Again, he's talking about this Macedonian church. He said, listen, they've exceeded our expectations. Why? Because they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. The thing you want to know about the Macedonian church is it says, listen, they had given themselves to the Lord first, and then their generosity came beyond that. And here's the thing that we got to understand, and this is why I preached uh, the first two weeks on Zacchaeus and the rich young rulers, because listen, our generosity follows our surrender, not the other way around. When we surrender our life to Jesus and we become a follower of Jesus, our life begins to reflect Jesus. So if you just track that out, what you can see is that if I'm not a generous person, then I'm not following Jesus. It's why Jesus taught on money so much is because I'm telling you, there's nothing that gets to the core of our heart and who we are quicker than money. And here's what I'd tell you. It does no good to try to be a generous person if you've not surrendered your heart to God because it will not work because generosity is only something that God can create. Because remember, God's not interested in a one-time generous gift. He's interested in you becoming a generous person. He wants your heart. He doesn't just want a tip. Verse 6, 
So he urged Titus. Titus is, is Paul's uh, kind of right-hand man. He went around with him on these missionary trips. So we urged Titus, just as we had earlier made in the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I love how Paul talks about this because I think it's something that a lot of us really need to hear, including myself, because I don't know about you, but in many ways, giving and generosity is one of those areas that a lot of people uh, either just kind of avoid altogether or as a Christian, they begin tithing and then they kind of throw it against the wall and say, okay, we tithe, we're good, right? And so for me, that's kind of been the case. That's why I'm, I'm saying that. But what we see from Paul right here is he says, listen, since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in love, uh, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. What I want you to notice is, listen, faith is something that we grow in. But we don't get saved and just immediately have strong faith. Uh, we don't get saved and immediately our tongue is tamed where we no longer gossip or we no longer tear people down and build it up. We have to learn that. It's a growth area for each of our lives. Also, we see uh, not only that, but in knowledge. You know, when you, you first get saved and begin following the Lord, uh, you have to read Scripture so that you can begin to learn about the God of the Bible. But for many of us, we've never been consistent reading the Bible, so we actually only know about the Jesus that somebody else tells us about. That's not what God wants. God wants you to know the God of the Bible, and he's given you access, and people died to give you access to the Bible so that you could read the revelation of God. And listen, when you see giving in your life, what I want to present to you today is that giving is an area that God wants to grow you in. I want you to think about this. When you look at your life two years ago, are you a more generous person because you've known Jesus and you've been growing in your relationship with God? Listen, when you think about your life right now, a lot of us, we just throw giving and generosity to the side and we say, all right, we give 10% or hey, we give this amount. Man, we're doing our part. But listen, we're missing opportunities for God to do a work in and through us. Listen, the ultimate goal is that God wants to take a lid off of your generosity because he actually wants to use the generous person to connect other people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But if we throw this amount and say, man, we've done our generous thing, hit the light switch, then we don't ever turn back on to see that God wants to use our generosity, not just in the church, but outside the church so that other people can see Jesus in us. Listen, I can't tell you how frustrated Jesus got with the religious people of his day because that's exactly what they did. Hey, we tithe, we're good. Well, you're tithing, but you go to work and you act like a tailhole. God's not interested in you tithing to the church and going through the motions, but then your heart being far from him. Listen, we cannot become more like Jesus and become less generous, not just with our time, but our energy. Listen, our, our, our heart to love and serve other people, the way we talk to other people. Listen, the opposite of generosity is greed. The Bible teaches that the opposite of generosity 
is greed. The root of greed is selfishness. The root of selfishness is sin. Because that's what sin does is it creates selfishness in us. So as a Christian, as we begin to battle sin and begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is the more of the Holy Spirit that we begin to walk in, the more generous that we become. And we cannot allow this area of our life to be compartmentalized because Jesus wants it to be the overflow in every area of our life. Listen to verse 8. He says, listen, I'm, I'm not commanding you. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians about them giving their gift, right? So it would be like me coming up before we take up the offering. As you notice, we're not taking up another offering. I did that before because, listen, I don't want you to give out of guilt. Guilt is, is not pleasing to God. God wants us to be cheerful givers, to give out of a heart for him, to give because we love him. And listen to what Paul tells them. He says, listen, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He says, listen, I'm not gonna get up here and tell you how bad you are so that you can give more because that motive ultimately won't sustain that's why the 1-8 project is three years. It's not about a one-time offering that we're taking up uh, to next Sunday. That's going to be a big deal because you're committing, but you're committing over a period of three years. You're essentially, what you're saying is, hey, I'm committing to take my next step to become a generous person financially, hoping that it will overflow into the other areas of your life. And, and listen, it, it, that's what it's about. He says it's going to test the sincerity of your heart. What's he talking about? Again, he links our generosity and our money to the sincerity of our love for God. And so listen, if we say we love somebody or love something, yet our money doesn't go there, then we need to be kind of checking our heart to say, do I truly love this? Because God's word would say we don't. And so I'm, I'm teaching this the same way Jesus teaches, and I believe with all my heart it's why Jesus talks so much about money in Scripture because he knew that it was one of the number one competitors for our heart, and it's coming right at us because God wants our heart, and a lot of times he comes through our generosity and our money to get it. And then it goes and it gives the best verse of the whole passage. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, this is verse 9, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. You know, he, 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 he basically comes back to the end and he says, listen, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he's not already done. This is why the best reflection of Jesus is generosity. Because Jesus himself, think about what he did for you and I. He had everything that he could ever happen have in heaven. But because he loved you and I, he came to earth, he humbled himself, he gave himself for God so loved the world that he gave himself so that we could be connected into a relationship with him. It's impossible to think we can be like Jesus. And, and when we get saved, listen, this is what we have to understand. God's purpose for our life as a Christian 
the purpose of the Holy Spirit in you and I is to conform us to the image of Christ. It's so that you and I could grow and be more and more like Christ. Are we perfect? No, but we're in process. So that means it's a process of us growing and growing and growing to be more like Jesus because that's what he wants us to be. And listen, generosity is an area of our life that God wants to begin to grow in each of us. This is who I want us to be as a church. Listen, I want the measure of our generosity to be Christ. I don't want the measure of our generosity to be, hey, Billy, I give 10%, I'm good. Don't put a number where God puts a person in your life. That's what God wants from us. Listen, I want us to be known as a church that goes out and helps people. Listen, that when God gives us an opportunity to be generous towards somebody, the answer is yes, with Jesus. That's who God's created us to be. And listen, this is hard. I understand. I know I'm with you. Listen, I had a, a situation the other day. Everybody comes to the preacher when they want money, right? I don't know if y'all know about that, but y'all can thank me later about that. So uh, when, when people want money, the church is the first place they go. Also, um, thanks to my mom, our office is right next to DFACS, right? So mom worked in DFACS. She's got the biggest heart in the world. So, of course, every person that needed money that DFACS couldn't help, guess where they send? Over there, not to mention I'm trying to prepare and get ready for a sermon, but I got people knocking on the door all the time. So anyway, I'm sitting there and, you know, of course we get knocks on the door and people are like, hey, you know, uh, some lady at DFAC said that you guys could help us. And I'm like, well, it's not that easy, but yeah, tell me what it is. So of course, you know, we hear these lifelong stories and here's the thing you got to understand. There's people in our world that are good people and bad people, right? There's people that try to manipulate and get everything, you know, from you as a... Uh, uh, basically just a way to, to get what they want instead of actually wanting help, right? So I've had to train myself on how to have conversations with people to figure out, okay, do you actually want help or do you just want a handout, right? Because uh, handouts don't help people. Handouts actually enable people to get worse. And so we as Christians need to know how to, uh, to, to, to be generous, but be generous in a wise way, right? And so that's what God wants us to do. So anyway, uh, you know, but here's the thing is if I had just said, okay, you know, and a lot of times, uh, you know, we as a church are a very benevolent church, but outside of that, God gives me opportunities in my own life. And these are the ones I love the most is because when people don't know I'm a preacher, they don't treat me like I'm a preacher, right? So that, that's taken a while for me to break through. But I had this opportunity where, um, you know, this person uh, needed, uh, it was a single mom and she, you know, had two kids and uh, she, she needed you know, she was working, has a job, you know, just trying to do the best she could. Her husband left, her family's gone. And, you know, one of them situations that just breaks your heart. And, um, you know, and obviously Kate and I have given this, you know, big amount to the 1-8 project that's pretty much, you know, taken all of our money for not just now but forever but or for the meaningless future. Um, and so, but, of course, right after we do that, it's, it's like God sends somebody just to check. Hey, did you put a roof on it? Did you put a cap on your generosity? You've given your part to the church. You've given what God thought you could give. But have you put a roof on it, you know, as far as a, a ceiling on your generosity? And, you know, this lady comes up and she, you know, she needs a certain amount of money. And I'm like, man, that's, you know, that's a lot of money. And uh, so I, I pray about it and seek the Lord. And the Lord just 
like, yeah, you need to do it. I mean, it's a, a single mom that, that has two kids. I mean, they need a place to stay. You need to do it. So anyway, I do it, and I'm like, God, I don't, know, I don't even know how we're, I don't even know where it's going to come from, right, hopefully. Uh, so anyway, I end up doing it, and uh, the next day, I get a check in the mail from a wedding that I'd done way a long time ago, right, for, for way more money than I would ever charge to do a wedding. And guess what the amount of the check was for the wedding? It was more than I'd actually given the lady. And, and I believe with all my heart it was God saying, hey, this is the lifestyle I've called you to live. And listen, I'm telling you, there's people in this room right now, you've put a, lit, you've put a ceiling on your generosity, and God meant for you to put a person and not a number. And that's what he wants. And so as you, as you see this passage, a lot of times it can be almost demoralizing, right? Because you look at this Macedonian church and you're like, oh my God, that ain't even realistic, Billy. How could you be people that are just like, oh my gosh, just give me a chance to give. I'm so urgently pleading to be a part of what God's doing. I just look at that in my own life and I'm like, man, I don't know that I could ever get there. I'm growing in it, and yes, man, I know I want to be a part of God in this area of, of generosity and, and my finances, but the thing I, I want us to know is I want us to ask ourselves a question today, and here's what it is. How do we become 2 Corinthians 8 givers? How do we become this, this group of people that God's looking for, that, that not only are a group of people that give financially, but remember, God's not interested in just a gift. God's interested in you. Like he wants your whole life to be generous so that when you go out into the world, you reflect him. That's his ultimate goal for your life. So how do we even do that? Where do we even start? And I just want to give you three very quick things that I believe can help us grow in this area of our life. And this is to, you, to me just as much as it's to you. And so here's the first one. Number one, it starts with God doing a work in our hearts. I want you to remember that Paul called this the grace of giving. The grace of giving, the same way he calls spiritual gifts, grace gifts. Why would he do that? Because it's not something that you can do on your own. Listen, some of y'all are in here like, Billy, this is a great speech, but I'm, I've already put my no on the table. Like, no, that's stupid. Nobody lives like that. Everybody around me doesn't do that. Why would God call me to do that? Well, it doesn't matter what other people think. First, and number two, it matters about your heart before the Lord because that's what he wants, right? We can't set our standard based on other people. We set our standard on what God's telling us to do through his word. And so here, for some of us, our next step today is to ask God to begin to lead us in our generosity. Lord, do a work in my heart that is bigger than what I can do on my own. For some of us, man, we think we're generous people, right? Listen, I would consider myself a generous person. But when I read about the Macedonian church, I'm like, man, I got a ways to go. And listen, I'm not asking you to, to jump all the way to where they are. What I'm asking is that you take a next step. For some of you, it may just be to start seeking the Lord and saying, God, what is it that you want me to begin to leverage for your kingdom? in my life. God, make me a generous person. Maybe it's the prayer. For some of you, maybe it is to begin giving to the church. For others, uh, you know, we got Commitment Sunday coming up. Maybe it's to begin to seek the Lord. God, what would you have me give to this project that's about elevating my generosity to reach people? Number two, we must take stewardship seriously if we're going to become 2 Corinthians 8 givers. Listen, stewardship is this idea that God gives in the Bible. 
And stewardship is, is, is really a mindset more than it is anything else. Stewardship is when you begin to see everything you have as a gift from God, right? So a lot of us, when we think about money in this room, we think about it as my money, right? I went to college. I got a job. It's my money. I'll do with my money as I want to do with my money, okay? That's great, but it's a worldly mindset. That's not the mindset of the Bible. The Bible reverses that and says, hey, everything we have, including our money, is a gift from God, right? Because God actually gave you the air in your lungs to breathe so that you could be alive, then the ability to go to college, then the ability to get a job, so that then you could make money, right? So he's given you far more than just what you're making. He's given you life itself. And so he wants us to begin to see ourselves as his money managers, as his stewards of what he's given us, not just in the area of money, but in our talents and in our abilities and in our time. Everything we have is a gift from God, and the posture that he wants us in is the posture that he teaches about in the parable of the talents. Jesus comes and he teaches this parable, and he says, listen, I gave this one man one talent, this one man three, and this other man five, and then he left them, and he said, hey, I want you to steward well what I've given you. And it's symbolic of, of life, right? That he's given us all abilities and gifts in and, and different ways and each of us are different. And then eventually what he's gonna do is he's gonna come back. And when he comes back, you know what he does? He judges us based off of how we stewarded what he's given us. And so in this specific parable, what happened is the guy with five talents went out and multiplied his five talents into 10 talents. The guy with uh, three multiplied his in uh, to, to five or six. And the guy with one, you know what he did? He went and buried his. And he didn't multiply it. He didn't leverage it for God's kingdom. And God said, depart from me, you evildoer. And so when you think about what God's given you, including your finances, God's given it to you to manage it. An easy illustration to think about is some of us in the room have enough money to invest our money with an investment banker, right? Not all of us, that's tough, but a different conversation. Um, but some of us have the ability to invest. When you stop off at your investment banker and you say, hey, I'm going to give you a gift of $50,000 and I want you to invest it and make it multiply. Who, whose money is the 50000 that drops off with the investment banker? Is it the banker or is it the person that gave the 50000 <laughs> The guy that gave the 50000 is the guy. It's the same thing. In our situation, God is the guy that gave the 50000 We're the investment banker that God has entrusted to steward it in a way that's going to multiply and bring glory to God. So the question you have to begin to ask yourself is this. If you were God, would you trust you with your money. So listen, I want you to think about it. We know God's heart. We know God's desire. We see it in Jesus. Jesus loved God. He loved people and he loved the mission of God. So what does it look like to steward God's money and steward not only his money, but his abilities and his talents and, and our time in a way that brings glory to God? It's when we leverage our time, our money, our energy, and our talents to love God, to love people, and to love his mission. And so think about it. Why would we as a church ask you to serve 
because we want you to leverage your talents and your spiritual gifts and your abilities for the kingdom of God. Why would we ask you as a church to give unapologetically, by the way? Because we want you to leverage your money for the mission of God. Why does our church exist? For the mission of God. Why are we planting a church in Athens? For the mission of God. Listen, we want you to leverage your time and your ability. Why do we ask you to spend your time with God? Because we want you to leverage your time in a way that's going to help you grow in your relationship with God. The last thing I'd encourage you with is this. We have to fight to keep our eyes on Jesus. The Bible warns so much about this world and the temporary versus the eternal. And listen, one of the ways, the best ways to tell when your eyes are on Jesus is how you spend your money. It's reflected in your generosity. I know for me, I may be speaking for myself, but listen, my bank account and the charges on it always lead you back to where my heart is. So my challenge today is would you just begin to open the door of your life up to God so that he can begin to search you. Listen, he already knows you. So there's no reason to feel guilty. He knows you. And just like we sang a while ago, he's recklessly pursuing you. Not because he needs your money or your time or your talents. Because he loves you. Because he wants your heart. He wants to use you. He wants you to find the purpose for which you were created. He's going to fulfill you far more than anything else in this world could ever fulfill you. And that purpose is to know him and to leverage everything you have for his kingdom. It's why Jesus said, it's he who gives up his life that actually finds life. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. I don't know what your next step is, but God does. I've been praying and I pray right now that God would illuminate whatever that next step is in your life. For some of us, it's beginning to open our hearts to Jesus and allow him to transform us to be more like him. Listen, for some of us, this message was not about money at all. For some of us, this message was about us surrendering our heart to Jesus and allowing him to do a work. For some of us, man, we have a view of Jesus that is just wrong. We think God's mad at us because of our past. We think God's looking down on us and trying to belittle us, but we have no idea that God loves us. He loves you so much that he sent his own son Jesus to die so that today you could be connected to a growing relationship with him and that he could lead you in the good way for the rest of your life. And you're here today and he's tugging on your heart. And so I'm gonna ask you to be bold. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Billy, that's me. I know God is trying to do a work in my heart. And I wanna pray. I wanna talk to somebody about it. We got a prayer team that would love to talk with you, would love to pray with you. Listen, there's no shame in this. This is the next step for you. God's gonna ask you to take 100 of them, but this is just the first one. You don't have to take the 100, you just gotta take the one. So if you're in this room and you say, Billy, that's me. Today, I believe God is asking me to surrender my life to Jesus for the very first time. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at and say, Billy, that's me. I know it. God's working in my heart right now. I'll give you a second. Anybody in this room, you'd say, Billy, that's me. So God, for the rest of us, here's my prayer. God, would you make us into your people? 
God, you want us to be a people that reflect you. God, it starts with you working in our hearts. God, it starts with us beginning to think of our life in the ways of stewardship. And God, it ends with us fighting to keep our eyes on you. God, so wherever people are in this room today, Lord, I pray you'd meet them where they are. And God, I pray you'd call us. God, you'd move in our hearts. You'd do a work so that we could be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank y'all for being here and we'll see you back next week.